Jess, it's Bowie Jane here for our very first podcast, Babes Behind the Beats. I am so excited. I am so excited that we are doing this, Bowie. I cannot believe we're actually doing it. I'm so happy and excited and thrilled. Um, So for the listeners, uh, just to let you know, Bowie and I, we are best friends. We are musicians. We are CrossFitters. And most importantly, professional drinkers. Yeah. So we thought, uh, why not do a podcast while having a drink and chatting about all of our similar interests, right? So, uh, and because we are two females in the music industry, we thought it'd be really cool to interview other females that are in the music industry as well. So we're not just talking about the lead singers and the performers that are on stage, although we will be talking to plenty of those. Uh, but we wanted to talk to a lot of the females behind the scenes as well. So we're talking like tour managers and audio engineers, stylists, guitar techs, drum techs, tour photographers, um, everyone that you can think of that is involved in this industry. So uh, yeah, we thought it'd be fun. And quite frankly, we thought it would be fun to just have a good old-fashioned chinwag. Do you say that in America? I have no. What is that? What, <laughs> a gin wag? Gin wag. Oh my god, that's hilarious. That's Tell me what see, this, this is. happens all the time. I've lived in LA for four years, and I still say words every single day that someone goes, "What?" Um, <laughs> so a chin wag is when you have a little chat with someone, and I guess your chin's wagging. You know, oh, a like, chin wag. Yeah, do you say that? No, but like oh. your chin's wagging, like you're laughing. Yeah, like you're having a chat, so your chin's moving up and down. Oh, like that. Oh, wow. I've never heard that before. I wonder yeah. if anyone who's listening will have known that, but I will give them credit if they do because I've never yeah. heard that before. Oh, actually, tweet us if you've heard of chin wag. Yeah. Oh, my God. That means we're going to get zero tweets. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> like, hang on. Nope. <laughs> actually, I should change that. Tweet us if you don't know what chin wag is. <laughs> Raise your hand <laughs> if you do not know what chin wag is. Yeah. I've got both my hands up right now. <laughs> yeah. So we thought we'd have a little chin wag, a little, you know, chat and um, have a beverage. And So, Bowie, you and I, we met through, it was CrossFit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. Crazy. Oh my God. That's how our friendship blossomed. We were just those CrossFit buddies. Oh, I love don't it. you love it though? When you go to a new, like when I moved to LA, the first thing I moved, looked for was a CrossFit gym because that's where you meet, a, you know, you're seeing the same people every day. Whereas at a gym, you're not seeing the same people every day. So yeah. I was going to the noon class and so was Jess because we don't like to get up early, <laughs> obviously being musicians. Yeah. And so we, yeah, we became friends. Yeah. I mean, noon is early for me, technically. That's <laughs> the CrossFit is, is what I get out of bed for by noon. I mean, and yeah. yes, people are gonna be like judging me for this. But seriously, as musicians, it's like we don't go to bed a lot of times till like three, four in the morning. Hundred percent. I do not go to bed till three every single night. So yeah, noon's okay. It would be better if it was one. But (laughs) yeah, I know, I know. I wish there was a one o'clock class. But you know what? We've got the twelve. So, Um, but yeah, that's how we met. And and oh my god, we have so much fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. How long have you been doing CrossFit for? Oh yeah, three years. Two thousand seventeen is when I got into it, and. Um, I, to be honest with you, like I hated it at first. Like I did not want to go. I was like, like I've been athletic, like growing up, I played soccer and like, I'm not to like 
sound cocky, but like I'm usually pretty good at picking up sports and stuff like that. But I like playing sports because it's like, oh, it's kind of a distraction from the actual working out part. That's how I feel yeah. about it. And then I got into CrossFit and it actually like I, I didn't like it at first. And then I started thinking of it as like more of just like a sport. I mean, it is. And and then I just started loving it more and more. I just fell in love with it. And it's it's honestly like my therapy now. It helps yeah. me with like, you know, my anxiety and like every day I have to work out um, or I'll feel like really antsy. And yeah, it's just, it's been such a life changer for me. And I, I like, I'm so obsessed with it. I'm definitely one of it's those. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. I remember when I first started, the first workout was wall balls and <gasps> I was like, oh my God, this is disgusting. This CrossFit thing. Wall balls and suck so, too. Oh, so. horrible. Yeah. I still hate them. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I, you don't really understand at the start that you're going to see the same people every class yeah. and then that you're going to become friends with them. Once you realize that, then every CrossFit gym you go to if you're traveling you're best friends with everyone (laughs) straight away that's yes oh my god that's what I love about the community like I've noticed when I go on tour because I started like I just you know in the last year and a half have been dropping into CrossFit gyms like into these boxes when I've been in those cities and even when I'm like in a different country I remember going to a CrossFit gym when I was in Belgium and they specifically changed the class and started speaking in English for me they were like oh we've got someone dropping in I'm not can even try to attempt to do the accent, but um, we've got someone dropping in, so we're gonna do the class in English today. And I was like, "Wow, like that's so that sweet, is so nice." Oh <laughs> I was like, God. "I could have just followed. Like, if people do box jumps, I'll just watch and do it. You know, you don't have to change." <laughs> Yeah, you'd work it out. Yeah, I'd figure it out eventually. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Yeah, we love uh, we love working out. Um, I mean, we don't really, but we like it when it's done. So it's a really good feeling once you're done with it. When you start it, you like kind of get like, "Ooh, I'm scared," and then you're like in the middle of it. You're like, "This kind of sucks," and then you get towards the end, and you're like, "Fuck yeah, I'm almost done." And then when you're done, you're yeah. like, "That was the best thing ever." <laughs> so true. <laughs> well, I think our very first guest for our very first podcast should be an interview of the world famous drummer Jess Bowen. Oh, um, okay. Well, we'll interview me. That's fine. <laughs> You're next, Bowie, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, we thought you guys should get to know us a little better, so. Yeah, yeah, um, we should do that whole thing. Yeah. Now, Jess, you are a drummer, as I said, and I I'm just wondering, how on earth do you get into drums? Are you from a drumming family or, like, when did you first play drums? Yeah, so I am actually from a drumming family. So my dad and my older brother were both drummers. And, like, growing up, we always had a drum kit around the house and obviously like my dad wanted both my brother and I to play but for the longest time I was like that rebellious like girl that was like "Mm -mm, I don't want to do that like I'm going to do my own thing so like I asked my dad to buy me a guitar and um, I think that was in oh that was in middle school and uh, he told me that if I played drums in the school band for like a year that he'd buy me uh, a guitar and uh, he basically conned me into it then because I never got a guitar (laughs) so yeah but like here's the good thing is that like I fell in love with it once I started yeah, playing because like yeah. yeah I just hadn't really like given myself the chance to I think I was just being like a stubborn like kid being like well I don't want to do it if my dad and my older brother do it I want to do something different I want to be unique you know so yeah. um I didn't really think that playing the drums would be cool since my dad and older brother did it even though it's like not a lot of females play and it is it's very cool you know it's, it's, it's so actually, cool it's actually very unique and um so I fell in love with it that's actually when my first band 
got together. So I was in a band. Um, I started a band called The Somerset uh, with two of my friends, Stephen and John, and their brothers. And we had met. Uh, me and Stephen were in the same grade in middle school. John was two years younger than us. And we had all played like on the same soccer clubs. And um, wow. yeah, and and Stephen approached me one day uh, in middle school and he was like, hey, I think we want to be like a Blink-182 cover band. Would you want to be our drummer? Because there weren't that many drummers in my school at the time. I think it was me and maybe like two or three others. But I was still like super flattered. I was like, fuck yeah, I want to be the drummer of this. But hang on. So you they knew you played drums, I guess. Yes. So point. we had played soccer together, but they also knew that I was playing drums like in the school band and stuff. Oh. So that's how they were like, that's why they approached me because they were like, do you want to like be the drummer of our band? And I was like, yeah, sure. That's so we had cool. first started off as like a Blink-182 cover band. And then uh, we kind of like our first gigs were at like the school dance. Like we literally asked to play our school dance, which is absurd, I feel like, because a school dance, it should be like music you can dance to. But we were playing like Blink-182 covers and like MXP, like people were like more moshing. Like it's not like dancing. It's like, okay, I guess we're going to crowd surf and mosh. Oh, so a school <laughs> dance. <laughs> so we played a school dance as our first concert. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we just progressed from there. Like, we had a couple member changes um, and we kind of stayed together throughout high school. But then when we formed the Somerset was when um, our senior year, we found a new singer. His name was Brian. And um, that's when we officially formed the Somerset and started recording under the Somerset. And that's how we got signed and all that stuff. Wow. I mean, and so like you wrote songs together or how did that happen that, yeah. that you actually had original music? Yeah. Okay. So like I said, we started off as a cover band, but then like after maybe like a year, I would say, I don't even know if it was a year. It could have been less than that. We were like, well, no, we're going to like write our own music. Like we all were, you know, John was in, um, like he played violin and he was our guitarist and like Steven was played guitar and ba- like everyone was super musical. So it's like easy. Like we just got together and wrote our own songs. I'm not saying they were great. I mean, we were like in eighth grade and, and we were, we were trying, oh God, but like, so cute. Eighth but yeah. Grade? And yeah. And so, um, yeah, we released, um, a few songs. Like we had an EP under the, the band name last call for Camden. And that was when we were all like, 15, 16 years old when we released that, I think. Um, cool. And so then, yeah, like I said, that was with a different singer and we just had parted ways and that's when we found our our singer that became, you know, the singer of our band, The Somerset, Brian, and uh, we found him our senior year. Uh, and yeah, we were already writing original music from like right out of out of middle school. So like in high school, we were doing our own thing. I mean, it's pretty funny when you first start writing music, like how do you even know what, how to write a song? You're just sitting down and you're going, well, let's make it like that song. Is that what you were doing? Or yeah, let's write no. down these lyrics. Or- yeah. Oh my God. It was like collectively trying to write lyrics. And it was, I mean, obviously we're, like I said, teenagers, we haven't gone through, we haven't had enough life experience to write anything like meaningful. And it was like, uh, man, I, I've got to think of like some of the the funny lyrics that we had because it was just like, I mean, one of our songs was just called like "She's Got the Rhythm," and it was oh. just like, <laughs> that's cool. She's got, she's got the rhythm, and I can't forget. Like, come on, it's just like very cheesy kind of simple things because you know you're a teenager and like how yeah. what are you going to write about? So, but um, that's kind of the appeal for a label because you know they often want the teenage angle. So anyone who can write with the teenage angle, i.e., a teenager. They're like, yeah. Right. Yeah. They're like, other teens can relate to this. But um, yeah, I mean, clearly, I guess that did work out because we did get signed yeah, right how? out of high school. So, how? Um, like, people must be wondering, how the hell did you get signed out of well, high school? Well, 
Well, this was during the time of MySpace, if anyone can remember MySpace. Oh, um, So we, yeah, we treated it like a job, like MySpace. Um, like I remember sitting in college because I did end up, me and Steven had done like a semester of college because we had, um, yeah, we went to one semester, but we were already playing in the Somerset and we'd been touring on the weekends and stuff. And then we'd come back to school on Mondays, you know what I mean? And be in, in these college courses. But oh, wow. I remember sitting in some of my classes and not paying attention at all and being on my computer and just adding people on MySpace and like messaging people. Cause we treated it, like I said, like a job. It was like, we wanted to like from almost like 8am till 5pm, just add as many people as we could message. I think we like set a goal for each person. Like you have to add and message at least like 200 people a day oh or something gosh. like that. And, um, and what were you messaging? Like, Hey, this is our band. Yeah. I'd be like, Hey, like we're called blah, blah, blah. Like check out our music. Um, give us a, I forget what it was back in the day. I don't know. Give us an ad, add us or something. Add, add us as your friend. I forget what my, the MySpace, how the platform worked, but it essentially, you know, had your music on there and you'd add people and you could message them. So Incredible. we would just go through people's friends and just add every single person <laughs> that we could. And that's again, how we got signed because it just so happened that one of the people we added was the owner of this record label, the militia group. Um, and they were based in Long Beach and he messaged us back being like, Hey, like, my name is, you know, blah, blah, blah. I own this label and I'd like to like meet with you guys. I like your, I like what I'm seeing. I like the style. I like your music. Oh, wow. And so then, uh, yeah. You must have died. Did you all die? Oh, absolutely. Can you imagine? I mean, me and Steven didn't even, we dropped out of college because we ended up signing to that label. We're like, yeah, fuck college. We just got signed to a record label. Like not no. <laughs> we Wait, thought so it was like on. the biggest deal. So hang on. You, you got a message back and he's like, come see me or like, how did that happen? Yeah, no, we, we just he messaged us and we did we set up a meeting with him and and the second we got out there we had talked to some other labels but none of them seemed like as good of uh i mean we had a manager at the time and he had looked over whatever contracts and and, you know we were young and we didn't know we just got really excited and i'm not saying that i regret signing believe me like we wouldn't obviously everything that happened led us to the success we did have but when i look back on it now knowing what i know it's like oh you know we were young and we jumped on kind of one of the first opportunities we got. But like, we didn't know any better. We were 18 years old, ready to be signed and and touring all the time, which ended up happening. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. I can look back on it and be like, oh, I would have done things differently, but who knows what that would have done. Well, and it's a fine balance between knowing your rights and knowing not to sign a, a tight contract or whatever. And also you still need the exposure of a large label. Like the reality is an independent artist is going to struggle. They just don't have the funds for advertising. And so like mm-hmm. in a way, I think you did the right. Like I totally think you did the right thing. I don't even know what your contract was. but Right. I think, I, think I, I also think what I remember us, you know, it was so long ago now. I'm, like I said, we were like 17, 18 years old. But looking back on it, you know, I think our mindset was we would like to be on a like an indie label that is going to put all of their like focus and their time and their energy and their resources into us rather than being on a major label that could just shelve us and be like, nah, you know, we're, we're, yeah, we'll sign you. Here's, we'll make this look nice and pretty, but then you're going to get none of our time. We're not going to try to do anything for you. It's just like a transactional thing for them. And, you know, were were they a small label or a big label? Like they, they were, they were smaller. They were on the smaller end, but they had a lot of amazing artists. Like uh, the other reason we signed to them was like, there were so many artists on that label that we all loved. It was like, Oh, that's good. Yeah. 
so we so that's also how we ended up getting on tours like one of our first tours was with this band um that was on our same label actually our first couple tours were with bands that were on our label and they were bands that i like looked up to and loved and like still do i still think their music is amazing and um yeah that's so that's what people don't realize like if someone's opening for someone or they're you know chances are they're on the same label it's a deal or like same management out. or like booking agent i mean yeah. Th- yeah there's a lot that goes into it that's for sure but um that is course, amazing though because if you with bands that you love yeah oh yeah like i was i remember the first tour we did was with this band that i was like totally just like starstruck i felt like over the singer because he was in a band previously that i had like loved 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 and had seen multiple times live and all this stuff and i just had to like try and play it cool and i think yeah. halfway through the tour i still spilled my guts and i was like i don't care you just need to know like I fucking love your band and like (laughs) have known you since I was like 13 years old and this is so cool and it's like flattering anyways like he was super flattered by it so that's awesome so at this point you're then signed which is like epic everyone must have been so so excited and then do they pop you on tour or what happens yeah, yeah. Like I said, we we did we did do um we basically right after we got signed, that's why we dropped out of school was um we were put on the road almost immediately. It was like, "All right, now you're going to start touring." And it was like this cycle of like tour and then you tour for a certain amount of months, make a record. After that record's done, you're back on tour for another certain amount of months, make another record, go back on tour. So that was my life, like I said for from like 2007 till 2017, I was consistently just, it was that consumed my life. I was either making a record or I was on tour. Um, That's a really long time, actually. So you're you with the same label the whole time? No, no. We sw- we ended up switching labels. You know what I mean? Like little yeah. things would happen business-wise like here and there and you'd get acquired by another label or you'd right. be, you know, get out of a deal and then sign with another label. And um, so- we were kind of able to stay around for a good amount of time and did a lot of international touring like we had fan bases like we toured in japan we toured in the philippines australia you know south america hang on you're at you're half filipino right i am half filipino yes yeah so what was it like playing in the philippines had you been there before or oh my god i got family there yeah no it was that was a totally surreal experience because we were you know we somehow were massive in the philippines like our biggest shows were in the philippines and i don't know if it had i mean maybe it had something to do with like me being half filipino but um you know it was also very like it was such a good feeling for me because in that culture like my mom she didn't really tell like her family that I had dropped out of school because it's kind of looked, you know, frowned upon. It's like, oh, you're supposed to kind of do the whole, you you know, you go to college, you graduate, you get a normal job, you live, you know, like, and so me having dropped out of college wasn't necessarily, like, it wasn't something she wanted to share with them. And then she kind of started hearing from like her sister and like her nieces and stuff like, yeah, like my, like people are talking about Jess's band. Like they no. know the Somerset. And then we came to the Philippines and it was like, I'm not even kidding you. It felt like we were like the Beatles. Like that's how crazy, like people were waiting at the airport with signs and screaming and like we would have to get escorted. Like I had my own like personal security guard, like shit like that, (laughs) where it was like you'd get, I had to have someone with me at all times. Like we'd be at the bar and I'd be like, like my security guard would like follow me to the bathroom and I'd be like, okay, like now you cannot like... (laughs) 
<laughs> this is crazy. I didn't realise people were waiting at the airport. That must have been incredible. When you got off the plane and saw people for the first time, were you like, yeah. oh, shit. Yes. I. We always, like, we had a little inkling of, like, our popularity there because we would, you know, on social media, we always got, like, fans from the Philippines. It was always like, come to the Philippines, come to the Philippines. We love you. We love you guys. Please come here. So when we finally did go there, I think it was, like, it just put it all, like, it, into perspective. It was like we knew that we were popular, but we didn't know how popular. And it was just insane the response we got when we got there. And so for me, particularly, it was a cool experience because, yes, I am half Filipino and my mom is from there. And it was really cool for her to like – she actually came out for that tour that we did there and she went to visit her family. And so she saw all of this. And it was like a really cool, you know, experience because like, you know, it just – it made me feel like, okay, like – it doesn't matter that I dropped out of college. Like this is a cool experience, right? Like you guys all can see that it's not just like, oh, I'm just playing in a like garage band. Like this is what I'm doing with my life, you know? Yeah. Um, Did you, wait, did you, um, your grandparents come or to the concerts? My (gasps) grandparents came, my, all my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, my like second, third, fourth cousins, like people (laughs) at our meet and greets. I remember people, cause again, this is like the culture and I love it. This is how like it is in the Philippines. Like you'd have people that are like, Hey, Hey, do you remember me? I'm like your fourth cousin's ex-wife's um, husband's <laughs> ex-garden or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it's just like so uh, cool. somehow people know who you are and they're like related to you somehow. But um, but yeah, oh. it was it was a really really cool experience. And oh and, my gosh, we need to do a live show in the Philippines. Oh yeah, absolutely. Those be the Philippines by far was like. In when I can think about like my favorite memories, it's being like the shows in the Philippines and just the experience in general because it was it was just it I can't even I can't even really put it into words like I don't people wouldn't believe me that it, it sounds it really is like a scene out of a movie the way we were treated it's like you've yeah. got the people waiting at the airport you've got the fans like screaming and like grabbing you and like you having security like have to hold people back and you like Whoa. walking down to eat breakfast in the hotel and there's people like banging on the 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 windows like watching you eat being like hi they have signs that say like hi Jess and like you know what I mean like that is so cool I mean what an experience especially in your uh, like your parents hometown kind of yeah or home country I mean that is really cool yeah. yeah, all right, we're going to the Philippines, guys. Yeah, we're, we're going to go to the Philippines. We have to. I'm telling oh, you. Oh, I've got an idea. Go. Okay, guys, tweet us <laughs> <laughs> if you want to come to the Philippines. Um, we're just looking for an excuse for a holiday in the beautiful Philippines when the quarantine is over. Exactly. That's where we should go first. So now Somerset, they are on a hiatus, but like – is there, do you guys still speak or is there any chance you'll get back together or what's the lay we're, of the land with that? Yeah, no, we're, we're on a hiatus. Um, everyone, you know, like I said, we, we had been together. I mean, a majority of us at least had been together since like middle school and you kind of like some, some things just kind of run its course and we're not on bad terms. Like people, I think just you want to experience new things and go do new things. Like imagine being a teenager and having spent a majority of your life more more of your life with these four people in your band 
than your own family and your friends. Yeah. So I think it just, it was, it just came time to kind of try to move forward and do other things. And again, it wasn't necessarily a hard breakup. Like we'll never get back together. And I'm not saying that we are, we aren't. It's just like, there was, it wasn't like, I don't want to say that it's like bad blood. And it was like, no, fuck that. I'm never going to do that again. No, it was just obviously cool, but time for, time for a break. Yeah. And like, I, you know, to be honest with you, of course, at the time, like I was bitter. Like I, we, we had built something so great together. And, and I was so proud of it and I didn't want to see it end, but like, I don't know, there's just things in life that you have to go through. Like there's things that just need to end and you have to move forward from to grow as yeah. individuals. And so I really do feel like we all made the right decision because I think all of us are doing, you know, we're, we're all happy and healthy as individuals now. And, and, you know, after doing everything together for 10 years, you kind of want to have that like space you know, yeah, instead of years. every decision being with these four other people. 10 years is a really long time, like especially when it was over such transformative years for you guys. Oh, absolutely. Like the yeah. most transformative years, I would say. Yeah, the most for sure. But nowadays, um, so since Somerset, you're now playing with heaps of bands, right? Like you are the go-to girl, obviously. Like everyone wants you as a drummer. Well, I mean, I know you. I, I, I'm just saying I can see that. I, uh, you're the I'm best. so glad I, I paid Bowie to say that. <laughs> just so like people be like, oh my God. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I'll send you a Venmo. What's it called? The Venmo. Venmo. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. Venmo. Um, I'll be like, you owe me a hundred bucks. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'll Venmo you. Don't worry. Thanks for thanks for that little that little <laughs> shout out. So as um, I said, she's the best. <laughs> as you were. <laughs> and moving on. No. But um yeah, I mean, okay, so to be honest with you, I really did I'll try to keep this short, but like I thought that I was going to be done with music after we went on hiatus. Cause again, I kind of was like, okay, you know, I was in this band, we did this for 10 years. I've been touring since I was like 17. I was 27 at the time when we had gone on hiatus. I was like, I'm good. Like I need to go like figure out what else there is in life that makes me happy. And turns out I don't really know what else makes me happy besides drumming. So <laughs> drumming like, and CrossFit. Hang on, let me have a think about things. Yeah, I love drumming. <laughs> no. Damn. Damn. This is like way better than doing other things. This is like my passion. And so it turned out, it, you know, there was a couple of maybe slow months right when we announced the hiatus where I was like, yeah, like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to like, because people knew me as the drummer of the Somerset that yeah. I didn't think I was going to get approached. But then slowly but surely I started getting emails and um, certain people like acquaintances in the industry would be like, hey, like, you know, there's this band that's looking for a drummer. Like, are you, would you happen to be available to do this tour? And so I started just shifting into being, yeah, like a touring musician. And it's what I love to do. And it honestly, it kind of keeps me even more like, uh, sharper. Yes. Because I, I get to play different styles and I get to be yeah. on tour with different people at different times and, and like grow these different like families. Like, it's not like just, I'm, I'm just touring with one person all the time. It's like, I can tour with, you know, Tessa for a few months and then I'll be touring with, um, you know, Alice Glass, who I also drum for and touring with like 303 and whomever, like all these different people that I've had the like privilege of playing with and growing these friendships with it. It, it makes it, more like I don't want to say more fun it's just you know keeps it interesting I'm not it's not like that monotonous like oh it's just the same thing all the time with the same same people. song same yeah exactly same song and, and different I, imagine, day, yeah. I imagine at the start you would have been like 
hang on, do I actually know how to play with other bands? You would have been questioning yourself. I mean, you know you're a good drummer, really, really freaking good, but it would be nerve-wracking the first gig, right? Oh, my God, absolutely. I, I question myself constantly. I mean, but I am also a Virgo, so, like, that's part of my sign. I am, oh. like, astrologically, I will always want to be a perfectionist and question uh, <laughs> everything. So, Jess, like, you've been touring with some amazing bands, as I just spoke to you about but what would you say like some of the coolest weirdest maybe or countries you never thought you'd go to well where have you gigged that is awesome but no where have you gigged that is different really different and cool really different okay well that yeah I guess most recently I would have to say I went to Moscow and I never thought I honestly like that's one of the places that I was like I never thought I'd get to play. Um and and Moscow. I was so lucky cuz Tessa has like a a huge fan base in Russia. So that was the last uh tour, that was the last date of our um of our Europe tour on the last tour we did. And oh my god, I like I cannot even put into words like everything about like the architecture and like just the culture. It was just such a it was so different in such a surprisingly like great way to me that I again I don't even know how to describe it. Like Yeah, I heard it's super clean and pretty and it is. it's just like the really pretty city that we just, you know, I haven't been to Russia. I would love to go. I thought it was so beautiful and like I said again like the architecture was just something out of this world. Like I've never seen it in any country I've been to before. Um and it's just, it just, it really does. It just makes you feel so out of your element. Because sometimes I'm on tour and I forget that I'm in like a different country. Because sometimes you go places and you're just like, oh, I just feel, I mean, this is not, and I don't know if that sounds ignorant. I don't mean for no, that to sound no, ignorant, but like I do like in a feeling- different, different country every day. So like, yeah. especially in Europe and it, you know, you a different country every day. You wake up, you're in a new city. Yes. I, I And I like the feeling of being like, this feels different and I'm out of my element. Like I want to be kind of like, you know, thrown off and like, oh, this isn't because I've been touring for like, you know, 12 years. And I, and like I said, sometimes it like, it kind of becomes like, oh, I've been to these places a million times and I don't want to, I don't take it for granted. I love it, but it's nice to get thrown into something completely new and feel like I have no idea where I am and how to like survive here or how to even talk to anyone, but I fucking love it. (laughs) Well, Jess, you know, I just love chatting to you about your tours and everything because I'm a musician. I love hearing all those stories. It's so fun. Oh, thanks Um, for having me, Bowie. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for coming on to our podcast. I'm so happy to be on our (laughs) podcast right now. Thank you. Thanks for being our very first guest and it was amazing. Hi, Jess. Oh, my gosh. How is your HelloFresh going? Oh, my God. Bowie, it's incredible. It honestly has been saving me so much time and stress. It's just so convenient. You know what I mean? Like, I'm following these recipes that have, like, these simple pictures and these simple steps. Oh, yeah. And it's making me more creative with that as well. And, and it's I honestly cannot tell you how amazing it has been. The thing I've noticed is, because it's all portioned out, the ingredients feel really, really 
HelloFresh. <laughs> and I know that sounds stupid because it is HelloFresh. <laughs> but you know how you go to the grocery store and sometimes it's not that fresh? That Like yeah. you buy a red pepper or whatever, not that fresh, bell pepper. Well, this is all super fresh and like delicious. Yeah, yeah. And it's also delicious and nutritious. Because over 90% of their ingredients are sourced directly from growers to ensure like the peak flavor and the ripeness. So if you notice when you get your bag, it is that's why it is so fresh. That's probably why, because I was like, why is this way better than when you go to a grocery store? Like, I can't find the ingredients looking as fresh as they do when they come in that bag, because basically it comes in a little paper bag, and it's all portioned up, and you got your recipe, and you just follow it. It's so easy. And it's amazing. And did you know, as far as sustainability goes, it's the first global carbon-neutral meal kit company. I don't know if you knew that, but like, yeah, isn't that crazy? And so, yeah, yeah. And that's why, like, you have these pre-portioned ingredients, and you're not overbuying. So it's it's just such a sustainable, it's a great, it's a great company. And I highly, highly suggest ordering it. I'm thinking maybe it would be a good Christmas present for someone. I think it would be an amazing Christmas present and just a present for yourself. So honestly, yeah, yeah, right? Like you should also treat yourself, but definitely a great gift to give someone or something that you just buy for yourself because you deserve it. And Bowie, guess what? We have our own code to give to people. Yeah. So people get a discount. This is good actually for Christmas. This is great. This is great. So if you go to hellofresh.com forward slash beats 80 and you use the code beats 80, you will get $80 off, including free shipping. Oh my God. That's good. That's, That's great. Really good. Yeah. You really can't beat that. You really can't beat it. So everyone should take advantage of that. And again, Bowie and I were huge fans, right? Yeah, we loved it. We cooked it together and it's delicious. And I'm definitely can't wait to have my next solo fresh meal. Now for our next guest, it's Bowie <laughs> Jane, the best right. DJ in the world. And oh. you know what? I did see you DJ um, before all this happened, before we had to go into quarantine. I went and saw you DJ and I went by myself and I was having a fucking blast. I don't know if you remember, but I was just dancing (laughs) and singing and I was just like having the best fucking time. You really are like you were my exact if, if for my wedding, you're going to be at my wedding whenever I get oh, married. I was DJing um, at Santa Monica Pro- uh, Promenade and it was just going off. So I was so happy Jess came and it was heaps of fun. Yes, it was so much fun. So, all right. So tell me then, Bowie, you started off, uh, did you start off as a pop singer before you transitioned into the DJ world? I did. Yeah. So I've been, I used to play tennis, right? And um, when the professionally, tennis, right? You were professionally did, playing tennis, yeah. which is wow, crazy. I did, and it's way too expensive to be on the tour. It's kind of like being a musician on the tour, but perhaps less music, uh, less money. So it's kind of it's very difficult touring, and you can't have a coach with you, and you can't have practice courts when you're out of the tournament. And for anyone who knows, I was on the satellite circuit, so I did that for after playing tennis all juniors. I did that for a year, and then I was like. I can't afford this. And I called my mum in Ireland at a tournament and I was crying in the bushes. Literally, I was in the bushes. And this this is maybe, I don't think I had a cell phone, so I don't know how I was crying in the bushes and still on the phone, but I was. And I, I just, I can visualize it now. I was like, mum, I don't think I can continue this because, and I'm like, I'm a fighter. I want to just, I'll do things forever. I'm not giving up that kind of thing. 
I was like, I, I think I have to give up. I can't believe it. And mum was like, good idea. Why don't, you go, why don't you go back to university? I was like, okay. And so then so I went, went to university to- after being a professional tennis player. Yeah. And what had happened was when I was playing tennis, because uh, I was always musical. So I sang in the madrigals group, the choir. I was always involved in music. I learned classical piano for seven years. And my family is pretty musical, not my parents, but Beyond that, I've like got sort of famous magical groups in the family and blah, blah, blah. Okay. But um, I could never do it with the sport. Like it was too much. um, Tennis took up all the time. So then, yeah, when I quit, I was like, okay, I guess I'll go to uni. And I had got into law and um, I was like, I'm just going to do law. I don't know why. And just, and then just do something else. So you became, you studied law? Like, were you a criminal lawyer? I can't remember. What what did you study? Yeah, so I I studied law. But whilst I was doing law, I was like, oh, this is terrible. I've just been on the tour, touring the world for a year. And I'm coming in, I'm meeting up with, like, I'm staying on campus with people who hadn't, like, they just left home, basically. So I was... I felt like a fish out of water. So I thought, you know, I really want to, maybe I can pursue the music now. I didn't tell my parents, but I was like, now I've got my chance because I've got more time. And so I started doing um, singing lessons, dance lessons. I was doing part-time dance, um, which is 10 lessons a week and was doing, then started auditioning for musical theater, got into a few musicals. Basically, I was doing law on the side, (laughs) if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, And it's a long degree. Um, But then, yeah, so got into did sweet charity uh oh god um shit i can't jesus christ superstar oh and anything goes did those three musicals and was like i still want to be performing though but not in musical theater so how do i do like duo stuff or bands i wanted to be in a band so bad and so yeah so then i think a friend of mine was so I, I'm basically doing law at the same time but a friend of mine uh, was a guitar player and I said can we start a duo and he's like okay and I said well let's learn like 30 songs so we've got enough for three sets because in Australia you had to do sort of three 40 45 minute sets so he was on guitar I was on a shaker <laughs> which you would appreciate Jeff. shaker yes Drummer through and through. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I I basically learned that we, yeah, we learned our 30 songs and we couldn't go a minute over. And I had my lyrics up there and we sang and it was fine. And we, yeah, we got repeat gigs. And then, um, yeah, so after that, I was like, I want to do music. That's it. Wow. So, okay, but tell me. How did you, did you, you got your law degree. Were you still doing law and also performing at the same time? Yeah. So in my grand plan of things, it was what I'll do, I'll get a job in law in an entertainment law firm so that then I get record company contacts and all those contacts that everyone needs for a deal I'll get them being a lawyer is was what was happening in my head, right? Uh, yes. And then um, so I'll do my articles in an entertainment law firm and someone I knew um, said, oh, it's this particular law firm and I was bartending at the time and this guy came into the bar and I was like, oh, my God, this is the guy that I need to work for. He's the biggest entertainment lawyer in Australia. And so he came up to the bar 
and then sat down for his table. It was like their Christmas dinner or something. And I went up to the table and I said, sorry to interrupt, but um, I would love to work for your law firm. I'm a musician, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm a lawyer. I'm, I've just finished law, blah, blah, blah. He said, oh, send me, here's my PA. Give your email address to her and then she'll contact you or you contact her, something along those lines. So I did that. Like the next day I was like, oh, my God, I just met, blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, emailed him or her and she wrote back, said, yeah, can you come in for an interview? And I was like, oh, God, I can't believe this. This is from bartending. What the hell? So then went into the interview, was selling myself like there was no tomorrow. Like I'm going to be focused. I'm very dedicated. I'll work really hard, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, you got the job. And I was was (laughs) just like like that. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean I got the job? And he goes, yeah, you can start. When do you want to start? And I was like, oh, okay. Um, So then we had to work out a start day. And basically, I think I worked for him for quite a few years. But within the first year of me working for him, he started being investigated for money laundering and tax fraud. Oh, God. So I went from potentially doing all the biggest entertainment law files to him dropping all his cases and me just working for him for his white-collar crime case. And which was great because I, you know, I didn't want to do that for a career, but I got some really invaluable um, learning experiences doing money laundering and tax fraud law. <laughs> really, really big cases, like wow. the biggest in Australia, crazy shit. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of, so that was my law career. But then I was also, once I left him, I went and became a barrister where you, you, you're the one who's wearing that wig, you know, in England where they wear the wig. I definitely know what you're talking about. And I think I saw a picture of you wearing the wig and I was like, what? Yeah. So you wear the wig as a lawyer in Australia. When you're in a trial, you wear the wig so the jury won't think, oh, that's a girl or that's a boy or too young or too this, too that. Everyone looks the same. It's meant to be a neutralizing kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. So I, I basically, uh, was then became a barrister, which is the equivalent to a trial attorney here in America. And I was doing these cases. And the great thing about that was you're working for yourself. So you can, what I was doing actually was releasing music because I kept the music going the whole time, releasing music I'd written with my music producer, Jason Bond, who's amazing, who is producing this podcast. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, we released the music in the UK. It was becoming a bit of a hit over there. So we went over there and did a radio tour and a promo tour. And basically what I did in Australia, I said, hey, I'm not available to do trials because I'm doing a trial. So I won't be available for th- like three months. And I would go to the UK for three months and release my music. And basically living a double life. No one wow. in the law knew I was a musician and vice versa. That's so crazy to me. Like you literally had two separate lives in Australia and in the UK. It was like keeping them separate. I guess my question, did you ever get recognized? Did you have someone in the court being like, hey, you're that pop star? Or did you have someone yeah, when mean, you were the pop star being like, hey, weren't you my lawyer that one time? <laughs> like anything was, like that? That was my biggest concern because really being a lawyer is conservative profession. You're paying a lot of money for someone and you want them to look serious. Now, you don't want your, the singer you just saw on stage on the weekend to be representing you. I mean, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't want I'd be fine either. with it, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I was using a different name on stage 
to my birth name and keeping them separate. So the musicians did not know that I was doing band work all weekend, like duos band, but, you know, five to seven gigs a week, ridiculous. And then being a lawyer as well at the same time, neither knew about the other profession. So then when I went to the UK and um, I was releasing the music and it was starting to chart in the dance charts over there, And then I started getting press, which I was freaking out about because the whole angle was they were saying, hey, this girl is a lawyer as well as well as a singer and she's keeping it a secret. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. People want to – that's interesting. You know what I mean? Like people are going to hold on to it and be like, I want to know about that because you don't hear about that very often. Yeah. So they probably were like, we got to jump on this. Like how do we find out about this person? So then I started getting press over in the UK saying I was this lawyer and a singer and that basically I was changing my clothes after court and running and then getting into my hot pants and getting on stage, which was true. <laughs> wow. But it was freaking me out because I was like, no one knows about this, but I was thinking, oh, it's probably cool because I'm in the UK and they won't find out about it in Australia. So... And, yeah, it was fine. No one knew. I got heaps of publicity in the UK on every – the front page of every newspaper. It was crazy. And I didn't have a label or a manager or anything at the time. I had a booking agent who was a good booking agent. But, yeah, I was doing everything myself. Oh, my God. So you were, like, self – basically self-managed and self – like, you did everything on your own. Was it you and your producer? Was it you and and Jason that did everything? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we wow. were doing everything ourselves and but the like the radio tour was booked by, by our I had booked a radio promo person. So mm-hmm. they booked your radio tour and um she was fantastic. She did all the top acts and the same for the DJ club staff and the booking agent. So I had like three people I was um using for that kind of stuff. So that yeah. sort of put the tour in place, but the reality is when things blow up in the media, I had no one managing the social media nothing. So I was trying to I was like, "Jason, retweet people. <laughs> Respond. <laughs> I can't keep up. This is crazy." And I was so stressful. I was so stressed. Yeah. Then I came back to Australia for a little trial and um, it was, I had I really did have a trial. So I was like, okay, quick, I'll just go do this case and then I'll go back to the UK. And I'd, Jason was still in the UK. So that was cool. He was producing basically our next release. And then, yeah, I got back to Australia, went to court in the country in Australia and just had this policewoman yell at me across the foyer in court saying, you're the singing lawyer. And I was like, what? Uh, the media had made it there. And so things blew up really bad. I was like, it was, it was like I was Bill Clinton who just had an affair. Wow. In Australia, it was big news for some reason. I don't know That's- why, but. So funny. You're the singing lawyer. Oh my God. So yeah. it really was, it became like a huge, no, you know, like it was a huge story, right? People really focused on this like double life that you lived. I feel like yeah. that was like what, yeah. It was all on the double life. That's right. People were fascinated that I was living a double life, that you would be doing sort of a conservative job and then the musician job at the same time, but no one knows. And the whole, all the media was saying, what would your alter ego be? And wow. so I was like, oh, wow. It was like everyone was contacting me. I'd been back for, you know, only a few days and done this 
I did one radio show which was on 3AW in Melbourne for those Melbourne listeners and that was when things blew up. Like it was crazy. Um, I mean that's – I don't know – being a musician that's toured for 12 years, I don't know anyone that had a double life like that. You know what I mean? Like you – that's why I do find it fascinating. So I can see why other people were so fascinated with like, wait, you're – and also like to be a lawyer, like a criminal lawyer, you know, like it's something so – not, it, you wouldn't expect someone to have that double life with that type of career. I really genuinely was keeping it secret because it just yeah, wasn't you purposely cool. did. Like, you purposely yeah, you, did that, right? You couldn't have clients, as you said, like were they ever seeing you on stage? And like one time I was in a really, I was junior in a trial and for sure this barrister wouldn't know, but I was junior to him in a trial and I was like, oh, I have to go to another meeting now and I'm so sorry. We've been there for three hours or something and he's like, no, no problem. Got another case I'm working on. I run down the street because we're in the CBD in Melbourne. I run down the street to the Australian Open Tennis Championships where I'm on the main stage and run back there, change, and I'm getting ready to get on stage and I'm like, I remember what? being on, yeah, I remember being on stage looking out going, I'm pretty sure this barrister won't be in the audience, but shit, I hope he's not because I might get in trouble. Like, you <laughs> what the, the hell Australian am I going to say? You Open. You were playing the Australian Open. Yeah, and they had this awesome, massive area out the back where the live music's played. It's a really fun still area. No one, I guess, okay, so the reason no one necessarily, I guess, recognized you besides a few, is it because you're wearing the wigs and all that stuff when you're? Yeah, and just I don't think people click, like, they think, yeah, oh, they don't my think l- that you're that one that they saw in court in the courtroom. No, <laughs> they don't. And of course, now I've got a buzz cut, which I could never have had as a little. Basically, as soon as I moved to LA, cut my hair. But um, yeah, so I had the long hair out, and I was wearing different clothes to in as a lawyer, you really dressed quite conservatively. So okay, so you transitioned then from being a pop singer into the DJ world, correct? Yeah. So what? When did this transition happen, and why did you necessarily feel like you wanted to, to transition? Was it a natural transition? Was it something you really thought about? Was it something that just kind of fell into your lap? Like what happened with that? Yeah. So the songs I was releasing in the UK were doing really well in the dance charts, and in fact, they charted in the dance charts consistently. And we had Seventh Heaven do a remix, and that was awesome. And Superstars. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but what did you get to in the dance? Like what? What in the UK? Like you topped like very high in the charts, right? Like what did you guys get yeah. to? Well, so recently, um, I had got to like eleven. I think I hadn't quite broken the top ten in the oh UK, but eleven. But Shit. Yeah, but then recently uh, a song of uh, ours was put on SWAT, the TV show on CBS, oh, and wow. I was in the scene and everything. So it was really, really cool. And you were in the thank, TV show doing it? Yeah, That's it was amazing. Sick. I have to thank Billy, the director, for his amazing support with this track. It was just so cool. Um, so w- the song got on SWAT and it was featured and then I was like, shit, we better release it. It was busted. Um, so I quickly uh, released the track and it did really well in America and the UK and I still get comments like on my YouTube video for it. It's like, hey, we saw this from SWAT, which is cool. Oh, my God, that's amazing. I got to um, seven in the UK UK charts and 21 in the Billboard charts in America, so I was really happy with that. Wow. But basically before that I was releasing in the dance charts 
and I thought um, I really need to be DJing as well and I had been DJing but I hadn't sort of taken that next step with it. So I started doing gigs with doing my live vocals over my own backing tracks and that's kind of, and then mixing it in with other people's tracks and now I just pretty much straight DJ, no vocals. <laughs> yeah. I love DJing. I love it. I love rubbing the crowd up. Oh, my God. You kill it. Like I said, when I saw you in Santa Monica, also, like, like when I say you kill it, like, when you're done, you're sweatier after you're done DJing than when I see you at CrossFit. Like, you're, like, <laughs> legit that into it. And that's what's amazing about you is, like, you're so, like, committed to your craft. And you just, like, like, I was, I, like I said, I went by myself. And I was just like fucking jumping up and down and like loving everything you were doing. And uh, it seems like you're you're like that natural. Like you're so natural at it that I would have thought that you've been doing that like your whole life. So it's it's crazy that to me that like you had like switched over into it. Like it just seems like that was like naturally what you were born to do. Yeah. So I think that's right. I it felt very natural for me because I've sung in bands and duos and I'm used to like playing in a venue with one person or playing with a million people. I'm used to like turning the crowd around. I think as a singer, you really have to do that. So, and I've always been a little bit of a raver. I mean, in my time. So I, I love house music so much. So I've always listened to it and then worked with it and then I was like that's it I'm DJing now and I love it I love gigging so much it's amazing well thank you Bowie Jane for being our second guest of our very first podcast of Babes Behind the Beats yay I had a ball thank you for having me what a great host you are you are amazing as well we love you thinking what we do every episode is end with a little quiz because it kind of tells a lot about the person And yeah, we want to ask the really tough questions, right? Like they're going to be super tough. So tough. You have to be super smart to answer them. So good luck. Good luck. I'm going to ask you first, Jess. Perfect. Okay. Good luck to me. Let's see. Dogs or cats? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wow. If you knew me at all. Um, Okay. Listen, I love, I love all animals, but come on dogs. Yeah. And so my answer is dogs too. Yes. See, I knew I was going to say that for you. I think I knew that. All right. So the next burning question, um, it's going to be it's so hard. Uh, whiskey or vodka? 100% whiskey for me. I'm what gonna, about you? God, I'm going to go with 75% vodka right now. And then the rest is whiskey. 75% vodka. Oh, I get it. Like, yeah. Because I can't pick one right now because I both of them have not treated me well recently. Yeah, rude. But I've more so been on the on the vodka train as of the last few years. Yeah. So that's why 75% of me is going to say vodka. I'm not answered it. Like, I should actually have to pick one. These questions should be like, you have to pick one. So I'll just say vodka. God damn it. Well, I don't know why I I'm think making you this are. I think you are meant to pick one. You just introduce the percentage. Just yeah, I, I have no idea why I did that. Okay, vodka. Anyways, next question. All right, you're a vodka girl. All right, for you, beach or snow? Snow because Yay. I'm thinking about the cabins and yeah. like Big Bear and Mammoth and oh. Tahoe. Like I just love the cabin life. So yeah, me too. Yeah. What about you? So are you gonna? What What's yours? I'm like I love sunshine, but that's why I love mammoth. Mammoth is pretty much summer, even in winter. 
So mm. it's amazing. You get the snow thing, you get the cabin, you get the happy hour on the snow, and it's always sunny. It's an incredible mountain. So, hey, can we get Mammoth as a sponsor? <laughs> it's always sunny at Mammoth Mountain. <laughs> yes, I'm a snow girl. Yeah. I love the beach, but I'm no, a snow girl. We, we agree. I th- again, this is why you and I are like, we're on the same page about those things. <laughs> this is one that. I feel like there's pros and cons to both, but headlining or opening? Of course, your first instinct is to go headline. But as a DJ, there are like, you know, if you're an opener, you're on first, which means you may have no crowd, but then you're done and you can party and Mm -hmm. it's fun. If you're the headliner, you're on last. So you might be on at 4 a.m. And, yeah, it's like I get nervous before every single gig. It doesn't matter what it is. I get a little nervous belly. And that's not that fun. So, um, okay, hang on. I've got to pick one. <laughs> yeah, you got to pick one. Like I said, right. I can't. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go with headliner just because I don't want to jinx myself. Yeah, that's, yeah. What about you? This is not the game. This is not the quiz. It shouldn't be like, <laughs> let me give you the pros and cons because it is nice being an opener because you get it out of the way and then you could be done. And, and sometimes you have crap sound as an opener. Like they, Yeah, no, headlining for sure. Headlining wins. Oh, this is a good question. CrossFit or yoga? Oh, geez. Well, um, I mean, uh, what what do you what could anyone guess? CrossFit, right? Hundred <laughs> percent for me. CrossFit. We've tried yoga. We've tried it together. Here's the thing. I don't want to bash on it. I think no. I, I want to love yoga, but I'm not good at it. Yeah, you and I want to be good at things. We're good at CrossFit. Yeah. Yoga, we've tried together. And I feel fine when I'm done with it. I just don't feel like I was good. And I want to feel like I did something well. I'm always like, I was shit at that class. I'm that person that they correct in the class. Yeah, I, I would love to be good at yoga. Yeah. But I just, and I think, like, I get a sore back from my tennis days. So my mid thoracic is always tight. And I know for sure yoga would help. Yeah. But I really like the feeling of lifting weights and the, you know, the endorphins you get from uh, it. <laughs> yeah. We're I addicts. Mean, Are we addicts, Jess? We're, we're definitely CrossFit addicts, but I didn't <laughs> want to bring – I mean, we're probably not. Yeah. Well, this has been unreal. I've just loved doing this podcast. Yes. I think, let's do it again. Why not? Let's, let's do, do it, it every again. week. Let's do it every week. And um, yeah, so for everyone listening, if you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter and all those fun social media things, it's at Babes Behind the Beats. And our website is babesbehindthebeats.com. And uh, yeah, you could follow each of us individually. Mine is uh, at Jess Bowen and Bowie. Do you want to say what your social media yeah, is? Yeah, mine's the at Bowie Jane Music. And our joint Twitter account is like I couldn't get Babes Behind the Beats in the Twitter. It was too many syllables or something or other or too many letters. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's Babe Behind Beat. <laughs> Babe behind beat. Just one, just one of us. So, babe behind beat. I can't remember. It was like it's shortened. But the Instagram is babes behind the beats and babesbehindthebeats.com is the website. So you can find all our handles on there. Perfect. Yeah. Follow us on there. You can ask us questions for the next podcast, but, and just follow that so that you can get all the updated news on when we're releasing the podcast. And, um, yeah, thank you guys for listening. And Bowie, I love you. This was so much fun. Our first podcast ever. I would say it was a success. Uh, 
best friends having a chat over a beverage about CrossFit and music. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see everyone next week. Thank Woo-hoo! you for listening. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.